Welcome to The Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, range and livestock specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. Welcome back to The Art of Range. My guest today is John Nalivka. Uh, John is with Sterling Marketing, and he's. But before Sterling Marketing, he's got a long history of working in the world of uh, livestock economics. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Tip. Glad to be on today. Well, I think you said you've had you've been running Sterling Marketing uh, since about 1991, which is getting to be a little while ago. What was your uh, What was your background? Uh, that led you to doing livestock economics? Well, I got a, I have a, a bachelor's degree from the University of Idaho in, in uh, animal science. We got that back in, in 1976. And then essentially when I got done with that, I, I, I ran a couple ranches and essentially I cowboyed around on these big, big commercial operations in the Western United States. And then in 81 or 82, I decided to go back and get a master's degree in at econ, I went to the University of Nevada. So I worked for him. When I received my my master's degree, that I I was offered a position of economic research service in USDA in Washington, Washington D.C. So I accepted that position. Was back there for three years. Then came back to Oregon State University and and to take a position in, in extension. They had a at that time they had a the state of Oregon was mandated by legislation to provide market news, market information to uh, all agricultural producers in the state. So I came back and managed that program. And I was, I was, they had given me a fellowship to do a PhD and I decided I wouldn't do that. And then I, so I went to, uh, and then Bill Helming, who was had a large consulting company in Kansas City, the Helming Group, which had been around for quite a while. Bill called me and asked me if I'd come back and talk to him about being his director of research. So did that, accept that position and was there. And then, uh, and then we started Sterling Marketing, another partner and I started Sterling Marketing in 19, 1991. And basically, you know, what we did was to, and still doing this, is to provide market information and forecasting to, uh, you know, clients across the entire beef and pork supply chains including producers, packers, processors, large large chain restaurants, banks, investment firms, private equity, you know, anybody who's involved in the in the uh, beef or pork industry. And then I I I purchased raw and share of the company in 19, 1994 and my wife and I and family we moved the family back to eastern Oregon. Yeah as I've I've been with WSU for about twenty years. Uh, mostly focused on rangelands-based livestock production. And one of the consistent themes is that the thing that usually takes people out is finances. And as I've mentioned um, in some visiting before we were recording today, we're on we're, uh, we're running the podcast right now on a grant uh, from USDA for producers that are underserved by crop insurance. And so we're, uh, the grant is focused on ranch financial health and helping people understand how uh, how some of these risk management tools like 
livestock risk protection can help mitigate for some of the risks that are inherent in marketing an agricultural product, specifically cattle. But And in order to mitigate for those risks, you've got to know what the risks are. And uh, there's a number of different ways that people attempt to make money in cattle. Now, you're probably familiar with the old joke that the best way to make a small fortune in livestock is to start with a large fortune and buy some cows. Yeah. (laughs) That that tends to be, oftentimes that's more true than we'd like to think. (laughs) Right. Well, it, I mean, in general, it feels like a business model that relies on an animal harvesting energy that's generated from sunlight and what the land naturally produces ought to be a, a decent, sustainable way of making money. But in, in practice, it tends to be a little bit more difficult with that. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that there are lots and lots of factors that, that you can't control, and the livestock producer tends to be a, a price taker, or at least that's how they usually feel about it. I think there's some uh, general progress toward ranchers being a little bit more um, proactive about about revenues. But in general, you know, the advice in the past has been: if you want to make money, you got to learn how to cut your costs, and that's been the only piece of advice, at least from somebody who's a little bit on the outside looking in uh, as a, a non-economist. Uh, but what are some of those things going on, you know, in the broader world that that we would call an industry outlook that are affecting, uh, you know, both the input costs for livestock production as well as the potential for, um, you know, prices on on cattle that you would sell. Well, I think I think Tip, as we head into to into this, as we headed into this year, twenty twenty three, and and we we watched the the herd liquidation that occurred for the prior two years with with drought, you know, major drought in the in our major grazing areas, particularly in the western United States. And we've seen a significant reduction in the number of cattle as herds have been liquidated, you know, in order to adjust for, you know, lack of forage. And at the same time, costs of production have gone up with, you know, with fuel costs. Fuel represents one of the largest you know, cost to a, to a ranching operation, to a cattle operation that, that there is. So we've seen the, and feed, you know, obviously these feed costs have gone up, you know, sharply over the last, particularly over the last year. So here you mm-hmm. have feed, feed and fuel energy, your, you know, two of your major input costs have now risen up to, you know, as, nearly as high as they've ever been. And as, you know, as with regard to the, to the ranch budget or the, the cattle operation budget. Mm-hmm. So we started into, we started 2023. We've seen this, this sharp liquid herd liquidation reduction in numbers. Well, this, this is the, you know, here we are. This is the cattle cycle. Fewer numbers means higher prices. And, you know, I, I have told clients all this for the last two years that that's absolutely true. And we all know that. But at the same time, the other side of that is the demand. And, you know, if the demand falls apart for one reason or for some reason, whether it be that people simply, we get into a recession and people can't afford to buy, you know, as much beef and or pay the prices that we're seeing in the, uh, 
in the retail meat case or or restaurant prices, then you know we want these 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 prices may not go as high as what as what has been anticipated. Mm-hmm. So so on the supply side. And probably, as it appears right now on the demand side as well, even though that's where the uncertainty lies, that there's a, we've got the potential for, you know, a strong market for not only this year, but also for next year. The question I've been asked is, will we exceed the record prices that we saw in 2014 and 15? You know, the last time we had a, the cattle cycle brought us into the, you know, lower numbers. The potential's there, the potential's there to exceed those prices. My, my projection for the cattle inventory, which we'll see that report here in a couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, I think that the, the inventory of cattle is probably going to be about, you know, roughly around 89 million head. And that's about where we were at the beginning of 2014 following that, you know, sharp herd liquidation. So mm. that, you know, the, the stars are aligning. There's no doubt about it. But that brings me to the other part of the story for, in terms of risk management. And it's, it's like you said, Tip, you've got to, in order to manage risk, you have to know what, what your risks are and be able to assess those. And the only way that you can assess that is to understand what your costs are and know what it, know what it is costing you to, to operate that, that cattle operation and, and, and raise, run a cow and raise a calf. And so I, I have said this, I've done quite a bit of consulting on this with, with individual ranches, helping them set up their, their, you know, their finances and their budget and, and being able to understand those costs. I think the one thing is that, is that, you know, it's one of those things. It's not, it's not the same as going to the accountant every year to get your, to have him do your accounting and, and so you, you know, get your, you know, get your taxes done for the IRS. It's, that's part of it, and that's part of the process. But you know, it's really being able to know where, if if you're going to cut costs, you have to know where you can cut costs. And, and I get a little bit antsy on that, on that, on the statement of just cutting costs because I hear that I've heard that, you know, how many times over the last thirty or forty years? But mm-hmm. you just got to cut your costs. Well. Oftentimes that's easier said than done and there's more to it than just cutting costs. I had a, there's, about drifting away into the, you know, the other part of it then is the, so there's a cost side of your business and there's a revenue side of your business. And, and the revenue side is where the opportunity is starting to present itself for, you know, cattlemen to, you know, to find, get into these programs, these, you know, these branded beef programs or, you know, video sales or whatever it may be. And, you know, capturing greater value out of these calves. But you also have to produce for the market and raise the calf that the market is, wants to pay those premium values. And so oftentimes it's not just, it's easy just to see the additional revenue, but the other part of that is, did it cost me more to raise that calf to produce that calf that the market wanted? So again, this comes back to that budget and, and knowing, knowing not only how do I enhance revenue, but really understanding the costs of, of operating that ranch and, and raising a cow and, 
you know, it's it's kind of a kind of an interesting deal. But and I and I you know I've been guilty of this too. You know, back when I was running ranches, that you you look at the number of head, you're you're weaning number of head of calves and putting a head count on a truck to go to market. But the bottom line is you're producing beef, and and that's that's a whole different mindset and focus as to how you view your ranch, your operation, and and what you're really doing there. You're producing a pound of beef. What does it cost me to produce a pound of beef on this ranch? And what can I do to to change that or do something different? But I I had a I, I had a call here a couple of years ago and somebody had said, well they got into one of these brands we were talking about these branded programs and I said, Well I'm a huge advocate of these programs and he said, Well I got into one and he said it turned out it cost me more to, to be in that program and 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 race you know, produce beef for that program and market into that than I was doing otherwise. I said, well, that's the other part of the, of the equation. There's the additional revenue, but is there also additional cost? And again, in order to understand that, whether and to evaluate it, you have to, you have to have your, your operation set up that you can monitor those costs and understand them. Yeah. One of the few things I remember from economics in college, uh, which wasn't agricultural economics was that uh, profit is optimized where you where marginal revenue equals marginal costs. Yeah, you know th- this idea that whatever whatever in in, th- in this case it may be an increase in product quality that that marginal increase in product quality will produce some revenue, but it has a corresponding cost associated with it. And if the cost doesn't match or or isn't less than the revenue, then it's probably not it's probably not optimizing. Your profit. So we have this idea sometimes of trying to maximize revenue, and but as you've said, and as we discussed with uh, some other folks, including Stan Beavers, that you may not be able to afford that increase in revenue. Right. Well, it's the same thing. I did the the, the uh, research that I did at uh, the University of Nevada was all driven of the economies of scale and, and really looking into that and the, into these range cattle operations and, you know, the differences between different sizes of operations. Well, you know, I think that, I think it's really important to know too that economies of scale is an extremely important economic, uh, factor in, in that, not only in agriculture, but the, but the entire uh, red meat industry. I mean, would it be, you know, packers, processors, uh, feedlots, or or the or the cow calf operation? That that economies of scale is the driver to the to the economics of, of this industry. And so, having said that, and and somebody said, well, okay, I can buy the neighbor's ranch for. For five million dollars, and it'll run an additional three hundred cows, for instance. Mm-hmm. Should I do that? Well, you know, that's you know, that's you know, that's a sixty-four dollar question because in order to achieve uh, economies of scale, then are you able to do that? Are you able to, you know, uh, you know, participate or have that additional cost? 
and and investment capital exposure. And and at the at the price of these ranches today, probably not. You know, so it, mm-hmm. it's a it's a difficult question to assess. But yet, if you're and I hear it all the time, you know, people, well, you know, I have to work and I have to work at a job in town in order to support these cows. Well, that's that's it's okay if you're doing that, you want to do that. But at the same time, is that is that really you know that's not you're not you're not really capturing the full benefit of the of that of that cattle operation either. So by not participating at all on a full time basis, but you know. So, so there's a whole lot of different aspects to these to these ranches, but they're becoming increasingly critical today to be able to evaluate, you know, all the factors that are affecting, you know, the the profitability of my cattle operation. How do I evaluate it? How can I how can I evaluate it without getting so caught up in the in that that it just it drives me, you know, it drives a person away. And so I don't, I really don't want to sit and do that one week out of every, out of every month or whatever it might be. But, mm-hmm. uh, you don't, you don't have, I think, I think it's just, it's just an important question and, and it can be done in a way that, you know, evaluating the possibility or the, or the, the economics of your, of your, of your beef operation on your ranch and doing it in a way that, that it can be, you know, it's helpful, it's useful, but it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't create the situation where you just throw in the towel and say, well, I'm not doing this because it's taking a lot of my time and I'm not having any fun doing it. So, right. If that comes- it seems like one of the common decisions that, that a cow calf producer has to make is do I focus on selling calves or do I, uh, you know, contract some yearlings, take somebody else's calves to put some weight on them. And how do I, uh, how do I evaluate the relative profitability of those two options? And maybe another question we can discuss is, you know, what's the unit of measurement if we're trying to compare options? I, I think, I think the starting point tip, and of course, this is, this is your, I think it starts with where your area of expertise is. And I think, and that's the grazing resource. And, you know, there's, you know, you know, some people have, you know, what is really, you know, really good, you know, you know grazing for yearlings, and you're, and you're willing to run fewer cows, and and wean those calves and carry them into own, you know, own a, run a yearling operation and sell more pounds of beef. So it really gets down to, you know, first starting with that evaluation of the grazing, and your grass resource. And then taking that and saying, okay, now how many, if I, you know, putting together all the different numbers, I, I go, I run just, if I have just a cow calf operation, I can run X number of cows and I have X number of calves to sell. And that, and, the, and those calves will produce X amount of beef. And, but I'm not going to carry them over. I'm not going to do a backgrounding operation. I'm just going to, I'm going to sell wean calves or, you know, just pull them from the cow and sell them. That's also an option too. So, or then the next thing, say, well, if I'd like to run X number of yearlings, then I may have to then I reduce reduce my cow operation by X amount, but I'm producing more pounds of beef by doing that. So I think it's a matter of 
just a matter of putting a pencil to it and best utilizing your grazing resource to generate the greatest, the optimal value from that grazing resource by the, the mix of the of numbers of, of cattle, whether it be cows and calves or cows and, and calves and yearlings. And, and, you know, really that's, that's, it's a question of again, going back and knowing the cost to do that as well as how much revenue will I generate from each one of those. I did a, when I was at the University of Nevada, I, and I did this strictly for looking at, uh, BLM grazing and, and I was evaluating the difference winter range and, or spring and winter, spring and, and summer range. But, you know, basically you can put a value on that. It's the marginal value of that, of that grazing for each one of those different, different operations. And, you know, it's, it's, it's time consuming to start out the process, but once you've done that, then you can adjust accordingly too. But again, it gets down to selling pounds of beef and not just numbers. And you have to, you have to be in the mindset that you're producing and selling pounds of beef. And in your, your, it allows you to participate in the market at, in different areas where you can optimize that, the value of that cattle herd. And, and what you're, and, and optimize the value of your grazing too, because that's where, that's, that's the starting point. Yeah. I, I have a related question on that. And I, I'm asking the question because I don't know the answer to it. Would the analysis come out any differently, do you think, if your unit of measurement is a pound of beef versus per head? It seems like it could, but I can't quite wrap my head around whether or not that might be the case. It, it very well, it very well can, uh, come, you know, arrive at a different answer because a pound of beef, if for instance, I, if I'm producing, if I convert, well, let, let's just take the difference that's rather simple. If I had, if I had a hundred cows and from those hundred cows, I, I had a 90, 90% calf crop. So I had 90 calves, half are heifers, half are steers, sell all the steers, sell keep part of the heifers for, for replacements. And so I'd have, you know, I may have, you know, 70 calves to sell off of those, off those 100 cows or 75 calves, whatever it might be. But if you got, and, and how you evaluate that on, on head versus pounds. So let's say if I, and, and for those, for those calves, I, I had X pounds of beef, uh, selling with that. I was weaning, a, you know, a 500 pound steer calf. Well, I'll just use 500 pounds for both the steers and the heifers. So I've got X amount of beef. Now, now do I want to make the decision how, if I invest now and, and look more at the genetics of that herd and I want to improve the genetics, the, the genetics is not going to is not going to change the number of head. What the genetics is going to do is change, likely change the value of the pounds, not only the pounds of beef, likely, but also the value of each one of those pounds of beef. If you've increased, and 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 that's that's where it gets to me, is where you really gain 
the the knowledge for looking at different opportunities because now you're looking at you know you're looking at the value of a pound of beef and how that changes how that can change as you go into these into these branded beef or these branded programs and and that's how you have to evaluate it not by number of head but the production of pounds of beef and the value of those pounds of beef and how can I optimize that value? Does that, does that kind of answer your question and make sense? To- yeah, I think it does. Just to maybe as an example, if, if I know that I can produce, um, well, maybe it doesn't. If, if I know that I'm producing pretty high quality beef, in other words, animals that I've got a relationship with a feeder or I feed them myself and I can consistently turn out, you know, some percentage of prime and the vast majority of the rest are choice, high choice. Is it likely that I might stand to make more money if I retain ownership on those versus, you know, selling, just selling feeder cattle as, you know, six, seven weights? Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I had, I I guess I'm more inclined to, I, I think, I think retained ownership, and you know, into the feed through the feedlot, and right up to the point of marketing to the packer. I think I think you have to evaluate. To me, that that comes down to opportunity cost, and you know, there's an opportunity cost to, to everything, and in, in, in generally, and as you're raising cattle, because those you could sell the opportunity cost of retaining ownership of selling those calves today, and obviously, when those the day those the day those cattle get on a truck and are gone and sold, your risk goes to zero because right. you, you've made that decision. If you're going to retain ownership, then you're going to re- you're also going to retain the risk of those cattle all the way up to the point of when they're marketed out of the feedlot. But you know, right. at the same time, but the greater the value of those cattle for for whatever reason and Let's, let's say it's, you know, the grading that the, 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 the carcass performance on those cattle is just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got a greater chance of having greater value at the end, which and in, in some ways that that's risk management. You, you've managed some of your risk already because you're, because the value of the cattle is increasing. As they go through, as they go through the feedlot and reach that market weight out the feedlot. So, I guess the whole thing that the the you know that I try to say and and what I'm trying to say here, Tip, is that it's a it's an entire process from from the time you've made the decision on the on the bull that you purchased and that ca- and that cow was bred, that calf was born. And it can and all the way through till the time you have, you have to consider everything all the way through the entire marketing, the entire supply chain for the, the marketing of that calf all the way up to what opportunities exist from the time the calf is born until the time that calf goes into, into a, a packing plant. And, and when you evaluate that entire, that entire process, then it kind of changes your thinking about how you view what you're doing. You're producing beef. You're not just producing numbers of calves to sell. 
Yeah, no, that's making sense. So, for example, if <clears throat> you know, if one of the most common mechanisms to sell calves is to take them to the sale yard, sometime shortly after weaning, you've got you've got no feed cost risk on the calves after they're sold. That's part of what you were just saying, but but you have higher exposure to the price risk where you don't have much control over what you're going to receive yeah. for calves except to maybe manipulate the timing of when you think you can get them to the sale yard. Yeah. And I, you know, personally for me, I, and, and the sale yards, I, I, there's, there's a, there's a role that sale yards play and, and they, and they may likely for going on out will play a role that, you know, particularly for small, small producers that have a few head of calves and maybe one or two call cows, whatever it might be, you know, that's how, that's how those cattle are marketed. And, and I'm glad we have the sale yards to do that. I think the one thing that if you have any numbers and you go to the sale yard, what are your assurances that, that the buyers who are usually the top bidders in that, in that market will be in the, will be at the sale that day? You know, I, I personally think that there's more, there's greater opportunity in marketing by having a direct conversation with, with a buyer or, and, and I, you know, so whether it be a, you know, a feedlot or, or just a, you know, a, uh, you know, an operation that's going to, you know, buying calves to take them to California and put them on grass or whatever it might be. I, I think the more conversations that the cow calf producer has with all these different buyers and, and who are in different parts of the market, I think that that's where you really find out where you're, you know, you know, not only where the opportunity is, but starting to address and ask, well, what might I change in what I'm doing in order to get the greatest opportunity with those buyers out there? And, and then, and obviously then that goes back to our original the beginning of our conversation. You know, here, you know, you're looking at the additional revenue and, you know, that are, that are offered because of different opportunities in the market, but also then also being able to evaluate the costs that go along with each one of those different, uh, mm -hmm. uh you know, marketing, uh, opportunities, but it's a, you know, and then, and then getting back to the, to the marketing too, then, and then, and you, you had mentioned that there's also call cows. And, you know, oftentimes it's, it's really easy just to know you go through and you, you know, you're pulling, you're weaning your cat, pulling your calves off the cows in the fall and you know, you're picking cows that need to, you know, you know, go to market, go down the road too. And, you know, you know, sometimes you put a little more thought into that too, just on those cows. And, you know, should I, do I have the feed available that I could hold those cows? You know, just, just, if you just look at the seasonality of, of cow prices, called cow prices, that they're lowest in November because that's when most of the cows hit the market and they're highest in March because that's when they, when we have the, the least number of them. And, you know, just that, just that alone, that, that seasonality of marketing, you know, kind of gets you a pretty good start as something, you know, how you might market those cows. And if you've got the feed, I've always, and I, 
I used to use my old rule of thumb was if you ever put enough more than $100 in them, more than a $100 bill in them throughout the winter, then they're probably worth holding just to get that additional revenue off of that seasonal increase in the price going into March, you know, mm-hmm. or spring, early spring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's changed some now, but that would, and, uh, so there's that or going directly to, to the, uh, to the packer, you know, and, you know, like over here, they built this, this, you know, CS beef over here in, in Idaho, over here, South Boise. It's, I mean, that, that provides, that's a pretty good marketing opportunity for guys selling call cows is, you know, to go directly to that, to that plant over there as opposed to going, you know, through the sale yard. If that, it's, it's an option if you choose to do that. Mm-hmm. So. I, you know, I would say I was just going to add, we took a, uh, put together a group of ranchers organ that was sponsored by the, well, we did it between the extension, uh, Oregon State Extension and the, and the, uh, Oregon Beef Council, but we got together a group of ranchers and, and took them over to that plant here a couple of years, about three years ago, two, three years ago. And I don't, I think we had 30 or 40 people participate. And we came out of the, came out of the plant after doing the plant tour over there. And my guy said that, that was, that was absolutely time well spent. That was some of the best time that I've spent to really learn something about, you know, people that never been in a packing plant ever and mm. to go and see, not, not only see the pat, the operation of the plant, but to know this, this is an opportunity for me to market cold cows. Yeah. Let's go back to Kaz for just a minute. Uh, what are some other ways that that you would say represent the more um, outside of selling to a feed yard? What are some some better ways of selling calves that may help you may may help the producer uh, capture some of the value in a calf? Well, I think that obviously, of course, you got the video sales, which have taken on a greater role in the uh, in the sales, and I think. You know, I think you get a pretty good, you've got it, you've got to market you where you got to market calves or through into, into areas where you get, where you have feedback and, and the market's telling you what, what, what has the greatest value. And I think the video sales have done that over the years with just because you could sit and watch and know where the premiums were being paid on the, you know, with the description of the calves. <clears throat> And so, or cattle, whether you know whether it be calves or yearlings, whatever. But, so I think that, and I've had people say mm-hmm. too, and I, you know, a lot of guys, you know, don't want, don't really want to do this, but you know, if you don't have the numbers. Well, you know, there's something to be said about you know getting getting the neighbors, getting people together, and, and basically putting together a marketing co-op where you pull your your calves so you can go to those areas because now you have the numbers and, and, you know, like it or not, that's, that's part of the value in these, you know, where we've seen the, the, you know, the prices and the higher prices is it's numbers. If you've got, if you've got a thousand calves, you have greater opportunity to capture, you know, greater value out of those calves than if you have just a hundred calves. And so I've always been, 
advocated. I know it's a difficult thing too, but I but I've always advocated for people to get together and talk about how can we how can we co-op our our calves and mark them mark them together. And a lot of times, what you find out is that if you put all the calves in the in the corral together and look at them, there's not that much difference. And, that, and I think that's key too. That you know you get with you know you with people who have similar you know similar genetics and and whether you're running all Angus, Black Angus, or or Red Angus, or whatever it might be, but the cattle cattle are pretty much similar, and you can pull them together, and you basically got one, you know, a lot of cattle that there's not a lot of difference. I, that that's part of it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, you can put them together, and and then start sorting, and you're no better off. So you don't want to you want to minimize the opportunity for sorting. I guess is what I'm saying. But, uh, yeah. you know, you can do that. And then, and then again, these branded programs, you know, there's just a, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a great deal of opportunity if you get into a branded program and, and you're producing the right cattle. I've, I've always said it, my little, my motto or my saying for this is producing the right cattle for the right market. And, you know, they say that, you know, the, my old, my old friend, Doc Hatfield, who started Oregon Country Beef, his, his saying was the cattle have to, the cattle have to fit the ranch. And that's absolutely true. But, but I've always added to that the cattle have to fit the market as well. And I think if you, I think if you, if you, if you think about that when you're, when you're marketing and, 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 you know, you know, raising cattle and, and if, if your cattle fit the, fit the ranch real well and your cattle also that the production, the beef production from those cattle also fit the market, I think you're well on the road to having probably the greatest opportunity. Right. And that's part of the, that's part of the art in all of this is you've got to weigh all of those things and, and kind of work them together. And that's not an easy thing to do. No, it 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 takes the it takes the extra effort, you know, you know well beyond. And and the other thing too, tip that I think I think once you get into that mindset and the thing that goes along with it, and I think and I think you know it, it'll come it'll come it'll it'll automatically fit. But I've said to over the over the last few you know the years I've said. In January, when you're thinking about that you're, you know, you're feeding cows, you're feeding hay, and you're about ready to, uh, to start calving in, in, in March or April, whatever. And, and I know that those are the, that's the focus at that point, but, but also put marketing and start thinking about, okay, these calves haven't hit the ground yet, but I am going to have a, a, a calf crop. And in June and July, and I am going to have, and I am going to have calves to market. We'll start thinking about that marketing at that point before the calves are even born. Instead of waiting till, you know, going through this process, I'm going to, I'm going to feed hay. I'm going to calve. I'm going to put up hay and then I'm going to wean calves and market them. Don't, in other words, the, the, the marketing ought to be as high a priority as the calving. 
as opposed to being just the end, the end result or the end, uh, job to do, <laughs> you know? Right. With any other industry or market, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even consider producing unless you knew you had somewhere to go with your product that was going to be likely to make money. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no different than, than I do with, with clients. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't produce a, a product, an information product to, that I couldn't sell or that I wouldn't have clients for. You know, I, it's kind of, right. I, I've, I've always, I've made it a, a very, uh, a habit and it's that, that I listen to clients and I, I, I produce what the clients want to buy. I, I don't, I don't produce something and then tell my clients, well, you have to buy this because you're a client. You know, first thing I'm going to hear is, well, guess what? I don't need that. So I'm not going to buy it. I, I, I produce for the client's need. And, and that's, and you know, that's no different. That's, that's business. You produce the product that the, the consumer wants to buy. Sure. And once you've got a relationship with a client, you may have some social standing to give them some advice on what you think they need that they didn't know they needed, but you don't have that until you've begun meeting their needs already. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And, 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 you know, Cal, you know, cattle are no different than, and I, I think we've gone through, and, and this is, this is one of the big changes I think that we've really seen in the last, you know, the last 10 years in this industry is that, you know, it's not just, it's not just raising cattle and going to market and somebody out there's going to buy the, buy the beef that you produced and, and you're going to go to the bank and, and, you know, it's, it's all, it's all changed to where the, the consumer actually is having a greater input into which you are producing as a cattleman. And they're doing that through their decision as to what they want to buy. And, and those signals go through the market. And if, you know, if you pay attention and get involved in that, it's, it, you know, it, it, it'll, it's a, it's a benefit, you know, and, 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 you know, somebody may say, well, that, that's extra time. I have to spend, you know, knowing things I don't, I shouldn't necessarily have to know. Well, there's a cost to everything too, but the benefit I'm sure will exceed the, the cost of your time to, to spend the time to, to market your the beef that you produce on that ranch in the best way that you can. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I have sat with people in the, and at their kitchen table and, and talked about budgeting and how to, how to build the budget, how to develop this. And, and I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's very satisfying to see a guy say, Hey, this is, this is interesting. I, I mean, I, I should have known this a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. It seems like part of what you're describing is a, a, a change in perspective where the rancher is not seeing cattle as a commodity, sort of like wheat, where there's, you know, near complete uniformity and there's no differentiation between what you've got and the guy who's over in Nevada has got. Um, and I'm, I don't work in wheat, so I don't know if this is not the case, but, you know, for the most part, people would assume that, um, you know, winter white wheat from the Palouse is the same as winter white wheat from you know, somewhere else. Yeah. 
but I think it's really not that way with with cattle. There there is more differentiation, uh, and and this change in perspective where a person is seeing uh, the beef that they're producing as a valuable as a valuable product that is somewhat unique, maybe even from their next door neighbor, seems to be useful both in the sense that it it changes how you um, think and act, you know, toward your own place, but it also potentially opens up some significant marketing opportunities uh, that would be different than uh, acting like everything that's out there that's a 600-pound calf is all the same. Yeah. Well, people, I think consumers, and I and I'm, I, I don't know if this is necessarily, it's not, not probably not the majority, but it's certainly a, a growing number of people, you know, who have an interest in knowing, you know, where that beef that they, that, that steak they bought or that, or that package of ground beef that they just purchased, you know, no, knowing where that came from and further know, furthermore, knowing how it was produced. And, and, and people, when people have that, when they know that they're willing to pay, you know, pay more, they're willing to pay more for that value. And you have to, you have to look at that as, you know, I can, I can tell you everything about the production of this pound of beef on my ranch. That, that alone is value added. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got a consumer and we're seeing more, more and more beef that's sold by directly from the ranch to a, to a list of customers that, that came and asked, gee whiz, I, you know, I, I drive by your ranch every, every day when I'm going to work or I drive or whatever. And, you know, do you ever sell a, would you ever sell me a, a half a beef? Cause I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I like this. I, and I would know that that beef that I had that I, that's in my freezer came from your ranch and you're a local rancher. And I think you contribute something to this, to the economy. And, and I like having you here. Well, that, well, that's a, that is a tremendous marketing opportunity and it, it's not easy. It takes work, but, uh, you know, that's just another another program that's out there too. And my gosh, I, I, I you listen to the, and and essentially the demand exceeds the supply on those on those on those on the cattle that are being a lot of the cattle that are being offered in those kind of programs. They're marketing. Yeah, and I'm curious what you think about this. I just had a thought here. It seems like the combination. Well, my first thought is that. Uh, the there there has been a fair bit of price sensitivity, or maybe in economic terms, the the demand for beef has been somewhat elastic. Where if price goes up, people buy less. But because all meat has gone up, and there's less difference between what we might have called you know commodity beef and uh, more of a niche branded product, that difference is smaller than it has been. And it it feels like that's maybe supporting a shift toward differentiated product. And I, uh, who was it that said we shouldn't waste a good crisis? I think that the combination of COVID and meat prices increasing, and then hiccups in the supply chain, have have caused people to be a little bit more willing uh, to pay. So if you know if ground beef is ninety nine cents, and but I can get it from my rancher neighbor for $5 a pound as a middle-class citizen and consumer, I'm probably still going to buy the 99 cent beef, but 
But if if ground beef in the store is three dollars and I can get it from my neighbor for four fifty, I might buy the four fifty beef from my neighbor. And it seems like there's some of that going on. At least around here, you know, every custom butcher shop is booked out for the next year. And you've got to get on the schedule if if you want to get anything processed. And uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. No, I I don't I don't think it, it will. I think I think what we have found is that we have really begun to differentiate the consumer. The consumer, the the buyer, the consumer of beef and the and the, whoever, whoever it may be standing down there picking up a package of steaks or, or a, pa- a pound of ground beef at the retail meat case is not the same consumer that we had 10 or 15 years ago. And, and now people are willing to, you know, they've got, they've got a different, uh, oh, you know, different percent attitude about, about value and what they're willing to pay for. And it's not just, well, you know, beef is worth this much. You know, a package of steaks is worth this much. No, it's worth a different. Um, it's worth a different amount to different consumers, and each one of those consumers has got a different, you know, uh, you know, perception of what they what they value and what they're willing to pay. And you know, that's out there. And you know, you start paying attention. I mean, you can stand in a meat case. You know, and just listen to people talk. And I do that often. And it's amazing what you learn about what people think when they're standing, standing in there at that meat case. It's not, it's not necessarily all about what, what the price of that, what those steaks, the gee whiz, I, I don't want to pay $10 a pound for those steaks. That's not the total conversation. I mean, if you hear mm-hmm. that from some people, but there's other people that are sitting there going back and forth where they ought to buy the organic steaks that are $15 a pound or whether they ought to buy the prime, just the prime steak that's $12 a pound, you know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a, which, which that's another thing too. And I think that, you know, if you've got a, cons- a consumer who is now, not all of them, but, but if there's consumers out there who are more willing to learn and understand the industry, take advantage of that, jump all over that. and and get get people out to the ranch. You know, you don't have to make it a full time job, but but people love to go out to the ranch and see how you do what you do. And and what you'll find out, there's a benefit to marketing. I mean, that 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 alone is marketing your product, right? And right. And you know, somebody says, "Gee, what, you know," and then then the next thing you know, here's those here's those couple people working. My neighbor and I, we want to each buy a half of half a beef from you. Can we do that? And, and there you've built, you started the beginning of setting yourself up into a, uh, uh, a marketing opportunity, a mark, you know, that you might generate more revenue than you'd ever realize. You know, a lot of those cattle that are going into those, into those, those custom local butcher shop processors are, you know, those are selling for, you know, three to $4 a pound, you know, that, that beef and that, that's probably a little better. That might be better to sell the calf than whole animal for, you know, you know, two dollars a pound on the hoof. Right. Yeah. Part of what I think I'm hearing you say is that we, all of those different 
niches exist in terms of the different segments of consumers. And it makes all the sense in the world to produce beef for each of those different segments and figure out, you know, whichever one you think you can, you can hit and and sell to it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you, you have, you have to put yourself in a position and it's, it's no different than any business that, that you have to, you have to look at the total array of consumers and understand what each one of them wants and how do you, and it could be, you know, that, and I, I'm certainly, I'm just, I'm just expressing my opinion as far as what's, what the opportunities are. But, and, and if you don't feel, if a person doesn't feel like they really want to go to all that time and effort and whatnot, you can still come back to the original part of our conversation this morning and just, just understanding your costs and what it produce you, what it costs you to produce a pound to be. And where's the greatest opportunity to sell that and be, be the least involved in, and time spent. And, you know, that may be a branded program or video sales or, you know, something to that extent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last question here, and then I'll, I'll let you go. I, I sense that a lot of ranchers are looking for a way to get out of this supply chain rut, you know, where the, <clears throat> the standard operating procedure has been for many people for many years to sell a weaned calf to, a feedlot buyer, and then those end up in the commodity market going through a, a packing house somewhere. But there's definitely more interest in in ranchers finding ways to, you know, capture more of the retail dollar and, and cut out some of those middlemen. But for a lot of people, uh, the word packer is a curse word where, you know, you spit as soon as it comes out your mouth. Is there any, what do you, and of course, in the, when those same conversations, the idea of vertical integration tends to be uh, uh, a, a bad word, but what are, what do you see as some, you know, good marketing opportunities aside from what we've already discussed in order to get more of the, is there anything short of a rancher selling just direct to the consumer? That, yeah. that results in more retail money back in the rancher's yeah. pocket. Yeah. Well, I think I think just as a as I answer that address that that question, I think the first thing that I that I would say, and I and I say this as someone who has worked with Packers for for nearly the last for over well over thirty five thirty years thirty five years. And I know a lot of them. I know the, you know, and I, I've been around the, the, the largest packers. I've, I've worked with the largest. I've worked with smaller ones. I think, I think just as a starting point, people have to get off of this, this, this kick that, that ranchers are out to do me in, or mm-hmm. I mean, packers are out to do me in. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. The packer needs you bad as you need him if you didn't if you weren't raising cattle if everybody quit raising cattle in the country there would be no, no there would be no packers because i can assure you packers do not want to do not want to own your ranch and raise cattle so i think that's the starting point i think and i think what that comes from tip i think there's got to be a lot greater understanding 
of how this, how the industry works that way. And, you know, this, you know, is it, are, is, is the industry going to be better off that, that, you know, USDA is put, is putting quite a bit of money into, into grants for supporting small, small packers and processors? Maybe so, you know, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, I do know one thing. If I, from, from the perspective, if I were a cow calf operator out there, the one thing I'd know is I'd want, I'd want to know that the packers are financially viable. And they're going to be around tomorrow and the next day, the next day and the next day. And, and this industry is in a, it's a high cost business. And one of the biggest aspects that's affecting a lot of business that affect, affects them as well is labor. And mm-hmm. labor's getting, becoming increasingly difficult to find the people that work in these packing plants. And I've said for the last year with all this discussion of these new plants, you know, you still have X amount of labor and are we going to spread these? Are, are the people who work in that plant down the road, are they going to come and work in my new plant? Well, maybe so, maybe no. But the, but the way, the salary rate, the, the wage range in these plants is, in the last two years is gone up to ranging in a, in a range of 21 to $28 per hour. And that is, that is significantly higher than what it was prior to COVID. So mm-hmm. now, having said all that, I think there's a without owning a packing plant or becoming vertically integrated and and whatever. I think the other way to participate in that is that you do you do look at the option of retained ownership very very closely and. And understand it and go out and visit with feedlots. Don't just decide that, oh, well, I'm going to feed over in this lot. It, it, it takes a little extra effort, but go out and talk to the feedlots. Talk to them with, understand their, 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 how they feed cattle and understand the, the cost, your, your, uh, you know, your cost of, of retaining ownership in that lot and what it's going to cost you to feed cattle. But also visit with different feedlots as to who they sell to, who they, who are, who are they marketing cattle to, and what are the programs that are out there that they're, that they're participating in. A lot of these, a lot of these feedlots have X number of pins of cattle that are going to a packer through a, through an agreement that they've got on marketing cattle that fit that packer's, the packer's needs. And, mm-hmm. It's not just numbers with them either. It's quality. It's it producing, again, it's producing beef and that packer's got a customer for, for that beef. And so he's come back and generated or, or created a, uh, an agreement with, a, with the feedlot or a contract for X number of cattle to meet that need. Well, you could, you, you, you're part of that. If you own, if you own the calves and you get in, into involved in that, well, you're, you're part of that program. And, you know, it's a way of getting the advantage of, again, producing the right, the right beef for the right market. And, and now you're marking your beef and owning it all the way through into the packing plant without having to own the packing plant. So, I mean, I, I think it, it takes, it takes, uh, it takes some research. It takes some time. It takes some, 
pushing a pencil and you know, but I think that's I think that's a tremendous opportunity for for you know some ranches, and there's some ranches that are already taking taking part in that. The cost to get where we're at right now in these feedlots, the cost to gain, you know, it's made it a challenge. Mm-hmm. And you know that's there's no doubt about that, and that's not going to change in the short term here. I think it will over time where we'll get these costs of gain back down to where it needs to be. But it, uh, you know, you know, the more, the more parts of the supply chain that you become involved in or the closer you get to these different parts, then it requires a greater understanding of, of all the pieces of that and the costs associated with it and not just the costs associated with it, but there's a lot of little what ifs and buts that go along with that too. But, but I think that's a, I think that's a huge step in managing managing market risk. If you know, if 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 a if a, a cattle a cattle get you know get involved in that type of a, a situation. I mean, the we see over here in in Jerome, Idaho, when when agri beef gets done with their new true beef plant. I mean, that that's creating tremendous opportunity for for, you know, feedlots and ranchers in this area. So, it's, but again, and I, I, I keep saying it, but I can't emphasize it enough. It, it's, it's, it's getting, you know, understanding, understanding the data and understanding the, all the, the bits and pieces of this, of the supply chain, the costs, the revenue, the, the risk, the additional risk, how that, how that added risk is managed and, you know, and whether, and then sitting down and, and, and going through the numbers and evaluating it and understanding it, knowing whether if you as a producer, if you as a cattleman could fit into that program in order to have a greater opportunity for, for a greater revenue and, and also risk management. Well, I think that's a, that's a good word and I'm going to let it be the last word today. Um, for those who didn't catch at the beginning, my guest today was John Nalivka with Sterling Marketing and you can find out more about John and contact information uh, at his website. I think it's sterlingmarketinginc.com. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Sterlingmarketinginc.com. John, I really appreciate your time today and uh, thank you for being on. Yeah, th- thank you, Tip. I, I appreciate the opportunity to have been on the, on the podcast with you and, I, and uh, the opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Art of Range podcast. You can subscribe to and review the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. Just search for Art of Range. If you have questions or comments for us to address in a future episode, send an email to show at artofrange.com. For articles and links to resources mentioned in the podcast, please see the show notes at artofrange.com. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission, empowering rangeland managers. Please take a moment to fill out a brief survey at artofrange.com. This podcast is produced by Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. The project is supported by the University of Arizona 
and funded by the Western Center for Risk Management Education through the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement. Thank you.